Welcome to the Faith FX Podcast. I'm Bernie Vandewall. I'm Mark Buchanan. And this is where faith and life meet. Well, welcome to Faith Effects. This is season two. Of season two. Season two. We're, we're there. I mean, this sounds cliche, Bernie, but it seems like only yesterday we did our first podcast. And that was it a year does. ago. And so wow. now we're, yeah, now we're in season is, two. Yeah. And actually, uh, we're, we're, you're especially in a different season. I know we talked a bit about this back in one of our podcasts, yep. but uh, you are not in the studio with me. You're not in the same province with me. No. So, I mean, what, what, what's, what's the season like for you? It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a season to change. I mean, lots has remained the same, not, you know, some things never change. Uh, in some ways I continue to do the things I've done before. Uh, but in some ways it's, it's very different. One thing I was teasing you about, uh, recently is that, uh, just before Christmas, I wasn't in the season of grading final papers. Yeah. No, you, and, you, you didn't and, tease and I was me. You gloated. Okay with that. you gloated. Okay. I, I gloated. Yeah. No, it was, I, uh, uh, bravado. I think I had a little bravado. Bravado. As well. And you really, tr- you yeah. held it over and you sort of did happy dances and, all of that. I did. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. I reminded and, and you I, that uh, in the academic life, it's like three months and then you breathe and you don't get uh, that anymore. No, I don't get to breathe anymore. No, 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 no. <laughs> no it's, I mean, it's full on all the time. Uh, right. The, cha- the challenges I, I described recently to a friend that the challenges of this job are like the grace of God. They're new every morning <laughs> and, you don't, and you don't discover what they are until that morning. But, but it's great uh, no, for your prayer it, life, isn't good. it? It's great for your prayer oh, life. <laughs> yeah, it is. And you know what? It really is. It, it is. Um, it has. It has affected that. I, I approach my my morning time. Yeah. Uh, differently than I did before. Yeah. yeah. No. No. Um, I. I it, there's some things I really miss about the pastoral life. I know you're in, yeah. and uh, you're a, a district superintendent of many many churches and and, and oversee the yeah. the work of of churches and pastors. But I I really do miss a lot about pastoral work. And one of the things is that built-in quality to, uh, you have to be at your prayers. You have to be soaking in the word. Obviously mm-hmm. in the academy, you you want those disciplines too, but the sense of, of existential crisis almost on a daily yeah. basis that drives you to it isn't part of this world. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the things that season I'm in is I'm on sabbatical and- you are. Yes. So that's kind of magical. And actually, uh, for our listeners, uh, a, a bit later on in the spring in our podcast, we're going to do some some interviews, actually, where I'm not in the country, and uh, we'll have some conversations. You're not there. even on the continent, No, right? not even on the continent. I'll be gone. And But I, I'll uh, share. Uh, we, we've decided that one of the, the shows will be, you're going to interview me about what I'm doing not on the continent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm looking right. forward to that. Right. And I'll probably have to speak with an accent because you'll be so used uh, to that by then. Oui, oui, monsieur. That's a Quebecois. Oui. Is that not like that in France? So, hey, hey Bernie, um, speaking of not on the continent, our guest today, uh, a good friend of yours and somebody who I mm-hmm. am just getting to know, Michael Gerlop. Uh, Gerlop? There you go. 
seen, but, See? but you got the Michael Just part right. Just got to know. I got the Michael part. Yeah, I've been practicing that, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but uh, very interesting, this interview that uh, we're about to run here, because his work over the last um, long stretch has been on another continent or about another continent, uh, Africa, yeah. especially northern, northern, eastern Africa. Uh, what are your thoughts as we, we go into this interview? What kind of stood out to you? Well, I think we both commented after we did it uh, that, that what Mike provides for us, especially near the end, uh, is a really compelling case for why we should be interested in, uh, read, uh, and contemplate uh, the thoughts, the approaches, the biblical interpretations, etc., cetera, uh, of those not only from around the world, uh, but from across history. Uh, and that we, 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 we ignore those at our own peril. Yeah, we're imperiled and we're impoverished if we don't have yeah. um, ability to hear Scripture, think about faith, talk about theology that's informed. It's not necessarily controlled, but it's informed by this rich inheritance of uh, conversations been going on all over the world and especially his his work again from Africa and he's going right. to make a compelling argument that that's actually really where theology um, the, the, mo- the big theological influences came early on and right. uh, we impoverish ourselves by not engaging and knowing about that conversation and so then right. some of the yeah. i mean some some of the the ways we might actually speak to think about address current situations within the church within the culture could be helped by an awareness of that long long uh, trajectory of uh, yeah. conversations about what is what is it to be a christian yeah, he's for some of us, I think what he's going to do by the end of this interview is he is actually going to almost literally turn under turn our understandings of the flow of Christian history upside down. And we're going to discover that or they're going to discover that as we talk to Michael Glarup here on Faith FX. Well, I'm kind of thrilled, uh, Mark, today because uh, I get to have one of my uh, my. Uh, Longtime friends with us, uh, Mike Glarup. Mike and I go <sighs> farther back than probably either of us would care to admit. Um, back to grad school days, probably met 20 some years ago. We uh, went to grad school together at Drew University in Madison, New Jersey, uh, both studying in historical theology. And uh, now Mike's a big shot. Uh, so yeah, he's, he's currently, uh, executive director for the center for early African Christianity. Uh, but beyond that, he's executive director for the project on religious freedom and society in Africa at the Whitney and Betty McMillan center for international and area studies at Yale. Uh, third, cause those two don't keep him busy enough. He's director of the Thomas C Institute for classical Christian studies, uh, which, uh, we in the biz just call the Odin house. Uh, over there in New Haven, Connecticut. And finally, you know, in his spare, spare time, he's the general editor of the Ancient Commentary Texts series uh, by a little company known as InterVarsity Press. So, Mike, great to have you here. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Bernie. Thank you, Mark. Good Not to be problem. here. Uh, now, I've talked a little bit about who you currently are and about our history a bit, but, but what else do people need to know about the man who is to my grown son's 
the legend. The legend, yes. Uh, your two grown sons that are much bigger than I am now. And I remember when I used to be able to carry them underneath my arm and just walk around with them, but now they would carry me. So yeah, uh, it's one of those big changes of life that we have to deal with when our friends' kids grow up. What would I like you to know? So I was actually, as you mentioned, I graduated from the University of Wyoming. I was a petroleum engineer before I entered into theological studies and his, um, religious studies. Um, and I think that really has shaped my approach to the academy and the scholarship. Engineers problem solve and provide workable solutions to problems. And I see historical scholarship as having implications on how the church should live out its mission in the world today and also how I should live my life as a Christian today. I tell people, one of the, my standard lines when I tell people that the people that know me know three things about me. First, that I actually married up. My wife, Kate, for 27 years was definitely a move up for me. Uh, my dog, Emma, is really the best dog in the entire world. And two, I've been deeply blessed with friendships with people like Lamansana and Thomas Oden. And I've been the beneficiary of these close friendships with two of the most influential Christian intellectuals in the 20th century, I would say. Very good. And Lamansana is at uh, Harvard, isn't he? No, he, he actually he actually was at Yale. He passed away uh, last ah, January. Right, okay. I heard him preach once in Harvard. Well, and he taught at Harvard. When he first came to the United States, he taught at Harvard. And then he moved down here to Yale University I believe in 89, 1989, and he was a tenured professor here for uh, over 30 years. He was the reason I came to Yale. So, Mike, the, the, the major thing you're doing, I guess, right now is the Center for Early African Christianity. Um, so you may have already answered this to some degree, but, but tell us about where it's located, who founded it, and a little bit about what, about what it does. The center has had a, a number of locations. It originally started at Drew University, where Bernie and I first met, um, and then it, it moved to Eastern University, and now it's in uh, Connecticut, in New Haven, Connecticut, and we house it here at the uh, Thomas Oden Institute for Classical Christian Studies, otherwise known as the Oden House, and we're about three blocks now from the Yale Divinity School. Um, the founder was Thomas Oden. And he became intrigued with uh, the subject of early African Christianity during his early years of researching for the ancient Christian commentary on scripture. I think your audience might know that. Uh, Bernie and I worked on this project in the 90s, but it was a it was a, basically a 20-year project um, mm -hmm. building a, a commentary on scripture. And while we were doing that work, we realized that really the most insightful comments and kind of the writers that really shaped how early Christianity read the Bible came from the continent of Africa. And so that's really kind of what got Tom thinking about this, because he never heard other scholars talking about these people as Africans, as coming mm -hmm. from the Africans. So that was kind of when we started this this idea of the intellectual movement in the first five centuries was a south to north movement. So currently in our present day situation, we tend to think of all new ideas and good ideas coming from the north going to the south. And so what we found in the, you know, kind of doing this ancient Christian commentary work was that actually it was actually the reverse, that really it was a southern Mediterranean world that was really shaping the, the, the northern world, uh, the, what we call Europe now in terms of theological thinking. 
And, and uh, I mean, one of the most uh, salient figures from that history would be, of course, St. Augustine, uh, hailing from Carthage in North Africa. You know, most of the time we think of Augustine as a Latin theologian, uh, as a European theologian, but he was really, you know, he only spent, I believe, five years in, in Italy. And the rest of his life, he lived in Africa on the continent. And so I, I think we we underestimate the, the sh- influence that his local culture had on him as an African theologian. Very good. Uh, uh, Mike, let's jump into the current moment where there's a, a heightened sensitivity to r- racism and race uh, racial issues. Uh, a phrase that's entered the vocabulary really in the last five or so years is white privilege. When we talk about colonialism, we never mean that in a good way. We talk about the depravities, the, the atrocities of colonialism. And of course, Christianity and the church gets massively implicated in in a lot of that history. Um, and some would see it in terms of any ongoing thinking about and conversation with the African church, African present that presence um, and that the church is, is sort of in the way uh, and that if anything, our role is to advocate for, a, say, a return to historic spiritual practices, African spiritual practices. C- could you comment about, I, I'm not sure even what question I'm asking, but, but you, you bring it because of the, your, your, because you're so steeped in this, um, a perspective about uh, how you even see the church positioning itself right now with regard to the continent of Africa and uh, theological conversations stretching all the way back through history, but into this present moment. Yeah. And and that's one of the things that we've really been working on here is how do we tell the story Mm. of Christianity? And um, I think from the outset, we can look back at our early origins of Christianity and we can say that Christianity was a non-Western and non-European religion, that its 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 focus really was in that southern Mediterranean world. You know, the the major cities of uh, the church, Antioch, Alexandria, Carthage, were all in this southern part of the world, and they and they represented long communities of remembrance there in different cultural encounters with the Christian message. So. I think that's the first thing we need to start. And the second thing we always need to start thinking, too, is about this South to North experience, that the intellectual capabilities for the first five centuries were really much stronger uh, and much more rooted in the, in the Southern Mediterranean world than in Europe. But over time, um, the, the church became divided along linguistic lines. The Latin-speaking Christianity of the West became the Christianity of the history books. And so, you know, at Chalcedon, we see that we lost many of the the Syriac-speaking churches. We lost the Coptic or the Egyptian church. We lost contact with the Ethiopian church. And in that way, we also lost contact with the Nubian church. And so... um, so that was one of the kind of... When I learned history in my first seminary experience... I kind of, we learned about kind of the start of the church. We might, we touched a little bit on Augustine and maybe Ambrose, and then we jumped straight to the Reformation in the 16th century. Well, if you, if you do that, you miss that there was all these cultural encounters uh, that were non-Western 
experience. I mean, how many, I don't think I learned until actually in graduate school that there was a church in Northern Sudan called the Nubian church that lasted almost a thousand years. So much longer than our experience of Christianity in North America. Right. And so I think, I think, so I think there's a way we've been telling the story that really uh, misses some important parts of it. And so, um, and I think that's probably um, how we have to restart rethinking this. I, you know, I look at the, the ancient church and I see a multicultural church. Uh, for the first millennium of Christianity, it had very important centers of influence that ranged in various languages. We have the Armenian church, we have the Georgian church, Ethiopian church, the Coptic church. Uh, we have the Russian church in the ninth century. We have Christianity all the way to China by the end of the seventh century. So, um, so by the time we get to kind of our understanding of the church at the Reformation, we see that the church is probably its most northernmost expression. And it's expressed mainly through this kind of the Roman Empire, this, mm. this northern Roman Empire. Right. And then that becomes standardized for Western Christianity and the kind of the, the, the high watermark or whatever, as we think of it. So what I'm really curious about, if I understand the Center for Early Christian African Christianity isn't merely a think tank that you have, uh, you're wanting to recover this history and the riches that uh, come out of this, this long, long theological story of of um, Christianity being thought about in African categories by African thinkers, etc. What do you see is the potential fruit of this? If, say, a pastor is listening to this podcast today and they think, oh my goodness, I, this is news to me, and they start to dig in, they go to your resources and whatnot, what would you hope for would be the... the that that pastor would recover in their own life and ministry? As you would expect, I think there's quite a bit. First of all, there's there's quite a few of these African theologians and African writers that we know of, you know, Augustine, Tertullian, Cyprian, Origen, Athanasius, Cyril of Alexandria, but there's quite a few people that had uh, kind of influence on Christianity and how Christians see themselves, like St. Maurice from Egypt, Abba Moses, the Ethiopian, Pacomius, one of the founders of monasticism, and even uh, St. Anthony. And I, so I think there's some these 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 smaller figures and, and how they help shape Christianity are always important and give us a, kind of a, a bigger picture of this. I would also say that, you know, when we begin to see this, we, you know, one of the things that I learned from Lamanzana is that as we do history for the Christian, all men and women are equal in the sight of God. There's no chosen people. There's no privileged class, no one community whose fortunes are more important than the other. All persons and all people are involved in the working out of God's purpose. And I think that's what's important about this story is seeing that God is involved in working out of all purposes. One thing Lamb always used to say was there's no culture that is so advanced and superior that it can claim exclusive access and advantage to the truth of God and none so marginal and remote that it can be excluded. 
all have merit, none is indispensable. And I think that's part of thing is that that we're part of a body, a human body that uh, has uh, these variety of cultures that they all have access to God and they all have something to give to our understanding of God. But neither, but at the same time, there's none so superior to the rest that they can't learn from the other parts. And then I think that's kind of part of our experience is um, bringing that to the forefront. And I think, and as we read these uh, early Christians as Africans and not just as Latin writers or right. Greek writers, I think we begin to see those those nuances. We begin to see the how their their local experience shaped them. I mean, one of the things that we forget is most of these ancient writers were all bishops or pastors, and so they were actively trying to answer the questions of their communities. So they're, they're, they're not purely scholastic theologians; they're pastoral theologians. Yeah, I think they're they're pastoral theologians. They they're working in an intellectual environment, but at the same time, you know, the nature of their ex- daily experience is answering the questions of 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 people that are converting from these non-Christian religions, uh, these local traditional religions, into Christianity, and what does that mean? And so that translation process, uh, we begin to see in that translation process how those cultures have influenced Christianity. Um, and and now we see that again today as these Christianity enters into Africa, we're seeing it engaged with the local cultures and idioms of that culture and being translated. And so we see that process going on there, which actually will give us insight into our own process um, in our own history in, in these different centuries. Let me leave scripture a little bit, but Mike, I've recently heard somebody make this statement uh, that one of the reasons it might be good for us to get back in touch with the earliest Christian writers, uh, as opposed to those of the Reformation or the 19th century, or the, even the early 20th century, is that with the post-Christian era we're entering into, we're more and more going to have cultural commonalities with the early church living sort of on the outside and the margins of society uh, than we do with those who lived in sort of the heart of what was called Christendom. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? When you think about Christianity in the ancient world, Christians for the first three centuries, it was considered an illicit religion. So it was illegal to be a Christian. So you couldn't be a good Roman and a good Christian. Those were incompatible. Those two were incompatible. Yet, somehow, they were able to live in this ancient world and say that they could be both, you know, good citizens. At the same time, they rejected this, the the kind of the, the worship of the empire. Right. And so I think that is really how do we live? How do we live faithful as both citizens of heaven and citizens of the earth, of our community, of our nation. So I think that's that dual responsibility. And I think these early Christians really can teach us quite a bit about our dual responsibility to love God and love our neighbor. And because we're embodied, we have to, we live within these communities, but at the same time, we do answer to a a higher calling. Mm. And so, and how to negotiate that uh, is, 
very difficult sometimes. And I think the early church, what I found from the early church, it gives us great examples of that negotiation that was very positive, but it also shows us way that, you know, we've gone astray, that we've kind of lost you know, lost our way. And so I think that's, we can learn from both, both the positive and negative aspects of those early encounters in the church. Cool. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. And uh, there's a little cultural analysis here. I'd say that, that in Canada, we're probably more along down that road uh, than you are currently in the States, but I, I don't think you're that much far behind. No, no, uh, no. I think, and then I think different parts of the states. I mean, I think that the states, you know, the East Coast, you know, Christianity has been fairly marginalized, even though it still, you know, impacts the calendar, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of the the way of life here. It doesn't have any kind of practical influence on the daily life of most of its people. Where in the South, there's still there's still pockets that there's a, there's a common assumption of a Christian faith. Um, they don't live as much in a pluralistic world, though they are becoming more and more mm-hmm. so. Cool. So, so and again, if, the Christians were yep. very comfortable living in a pluralistic world. They had no problem. I mean, their problem was being allowed to live in it. Right. Oh, cool. So, uh, one of the activities you're involved in is actually the publication of different books and other materials. Um, you know, if I were to give you a, you know, a minute to, to plug uh, a couple, what, what would you, what do you think the average person would be most interested in, find most helpful that you guys have uh, coming out? Um, so we have a book called The Historical Atlas of Christianity by uh, Angelo Di Berardino. It's a translation from Italian. It's a big book. Uh, but it really shows the kind of the breadth of Christianity in the first seven centuries. Very, uh, very well illustrated, has all the maps of the church. Um, we just came out with a new book called The Songs of Africa, the Ethiopian Canticles. Um, it's a very interesting book. It looks at the canticles as the oldest written music in, in Africa. Um, and then we also have Tom Owen's books, uh, a number of re- reprints of his books, which I think the classic would be Rebirth of, uh, of Orthodoxy, was kind of one of his really important books that he, he wrote and is now available through us. Mike, as we wrap up, any last words about this that you would love to say to our listeners and include in that how anyone can find out more about your work or the work of the Center for Early African Christianity? I think there's a sense that we can't understand ourselves unless we see ourselves through other people's eyes. So I think um, one of the benefits I've had from reading these early Christian works is I see my own Christian faith from the perspective of somebody else from a different culture from a different geographic location and a different point in history. And so that actually becomes a mirror to me of the things that I just don't, don't even know that I believe until I see it in someone else's different. And I think, so I had a, a, a person tell me one time, because the leaders of the future will have two lenses to see the world. One's geographic and one's historical. Between those two lenses, you will be have a better idea of what you actually believe. And so the geographical lens is from the various cultures like Africa, Korea, uh, China. 
um, the historical lens is through the various historical periods of the church who, who read the same scriptures but read them differently than we do. And so that's where I think those two, and I think in our work with early African Christianity and work with Africa, I think we've been able to kind of start to develop those two lenses and, and get a better perspective on, on what it means to be a Christian in the 21st century. Excellent. Well, thanks, Mike, for your time. Uh, it's been great. Uh, again, I encourage everybody to take a look at uh, the the website uh, for the Center for Early African Christianity uh, and to be sure to tune in uh, again uh, to this podcast, Faith Effects. You're listening to Faith Effects, brought to you by Ambrose University. Join us on February 19th for the Ambrose Pastors Conference entitled Life Together, Discipleship in an Age of Distraction. Visit ambrose.edu events for more information.